Chapter 25 of Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California, or the Marauder of the Mines, a romance founded on truth by Henry L. Williams. Section 25. Turn Pirate, San Francisco, How Garcia Spent His Time One Sunday morning, very fine, as the bells were calling Catholics to Mass and the no-religionists to amusements, and the men, generally fresh-shaven and in their store clothes, were mustering at the corners to watch the women pass and criticize feet and ankles. They saw a man go by who was a stranger. He was a good-looking young man of black eyes and hair, which floated down his shoulders. He rode along tranquilly, regarding with indifference even such things as demanded inspection. He was so richly attired and bestrode a horse so good and so elegantly bedecked that he was the cynosure ere long of all eyes in the subject of general remarks. Handsome, look at him, murmured the ladies. Some young Mexican noble, General Vallejo's son. No, the general has no son. I swear, he is gallus, said a New Yorker. I reckon that chap will do, remarked a Bay State man. Thunder, couldn't shine more if he had a plantation to back him, observed a southerner. The young horseman, apparently unconscious of having drawn all eyes upon him, drew rein suddenly on passing before a board fence on which were posted several handbills. One of them, more prominent than the others, of great bargains, New York goods at cost, French silk scarves all colors, was thus lettered, $5,000 reward, $5,000. $5,000 reward to whoever delivers to the authorities, Joaquin, dead or alive. The Mexican cavalier had no sooner read this than he leaped off his horse, drew out a lead pencil, scribbled rather leisurely some words on the foot of the bill, and rode on as quietly as if he had not stopped. A dozen people, urged by curiosity, hastened up to the fence to see what had been written, and they read, I'll give $10,000. Joaquin. Fancy the exclamations of astonishment which hailed this sight. Nothing was spoken about through the week except this event, at least among the ladies. Every one of them had remarked a something, my dear, about his eyes that was suspicious, and according to their account, as they had known Joaquin from the first, he owed his safety to a silence not generally classed with their gifts. The daredevil freak in which the outlaw had indulged did not prevent him returning to the town every now and then in different disguises to learn personally what was going on. He found out one evening that a little craft was going to leave Stockton for San Francisco at a certain hour. A couple of miners from Campo Seco 
in Calaveras County were the passengers, bearing with them the gold which they proposed enjoying in the States. Joaquin took with him three of his men, whom he found roving about the city, and getting into a small boat, they shoved off and proceeded to hide themselves in the tule rushes under one bank. The mosquitoes were so plaguing that it almost made him give up the plan, but on reflecting, the perspective of a magnificent gain made him persevere in his original idea. He regretted that none of them had brought matches, for then they might have kindled a fire to drive off the galley nippers, and he was on the point of flashing some powder and thus procuring fire when the fear of the flames being described annulled that scheme. Three long, long hours crawled by. At length they espied the sloop, which very crank leaned over daintily and brushed the ripple gently, though rapidly. When she had approached the ambush on which she nearly bore during attack, the waiters pushed out, reached the side of the vessel just when her crew of two were busy holding the helm and foresheet, respectively, when she went about and fired at them. They dropped disabled or dead on the deck. At the ominous sounds of the detonation and of the double fall, the two passengers rushed out of the little cabin, weapon in hand. But the conflict was unequal. The six shots rang out almost together. Two of Joaquin's men were slain, but three bullets entered one of the miners and another the other, and they breathed their last. Joaquin and his surviving comrade relieved the corpses of their belts of gold and valuables and finding some matches in the cabin, set fire to the sloop after lashing fast the helm and letting the sails down by the run. When the morning came, there was no trace of the crime to speak of. A scorched hulk lay at the bottom of the stream, and the earth began to cake up against it to form another bar. Some tinder had blown into the woods and even kindled a pitchy bough here and there. Some rope twined and lashed about in the eddy, and bits of wood, a sweep, and a water breaker bobbed up and down on the current, and that was all. $12,000 was in the hands of the robbers. On the next day, after having sent three-fingered Jack to the headquarters with four more men, Murrieta took Valenzuela with him to Sacramento. They stayed there about a week before sailing to San Francisco, where they arrived at about 11 in the evening. They slashed through the bad streets in gloom until they had come to a house in Pacific Street near DuPont. At the door they thundered for all of a quarter of an hour, when it was opened a little. "'Who's there?' whispered a voice. "'Friends, Senor Blanco,' was the reply. "'Good friends, too.' "'Oh, I recognize you, my paisanos,' returned the voice. "'Come in, come in. I've been expecting you some time.' You don't say, queried Valenzuela, entering after his superior, while Senor Blanco closed the door behind him and carefully fastened it. 
How could you be expecting us when you are no magician to see into the future? Unless you have had a visit of old Nick from Monte Diablo yonder, added Joaquin. No, no, nothing of that sort. My information came from no other devil than one of your company. Come along and I will show you the man himself, though I hardly think he will recognize you as easily, for he has been dead drunk during the last 48 hours. A rough customer he is. When I heard you knock, I thought you were the enemy, and I made a swift to arouse him, which kept you waiting so long. Very well, but who is this man of ours, inquired the captain. Come and see for yourselves, answered Blanco. This way, here we are, here's the door. I ain't surprised that you don't know my house when you have not been here for so long. It has been burnt down since then, too, and I had it rebuilt pretty nearly the same way. There's the man now. Joaquin and his lieutenant had entered a rather large room. They stopped and looked around. Where? Why, on the floor. The captain took the lamp off the table and held it over a recumbent form. It's Garcia, he here, exclaimed he, starting back. Yes, replied Blanco. He told me that you ordered him to go to the main rendezvous, but as he had some money in his pocket, he came here to go on the tear. Let's see if he cannot be wakened, said Valenzuela. He went up to the drunkard and gave him sundry shoves and blows, which far from producing the anticipated effect, only drew from the three-fingered cutthroat deep growls and broken oaths. Kara, or Karam, Knowing that watching Garcia was out of the question, and yet fearing, if his actions were not circumscribed, that he would compromise them, Joaquin took the course of avoiding him as much as was possible while he should be in the city. For this purpose, he bought a tent and put it up on one of the hillocks not far from the Fremont House, near Battery and Vallejo Streets. Every night, he and Valenzuela left their retreat to go the rounds of the Bella Union, Diana, El Dorado, and other exhibition places of the tiger to be fought. They lost and won piles of gold with a calmness and good humor, even which delighted the lookers-on, players, or mere lunchers on the spread sideboards, and the bankers themselves, who are not, as everyone knows, who has tilted on the field of the cloth of green, the most impressionable men. One evening, as the pair were sauntering into the Bella Union and about to take seats at the faro table, their attention was suddenly drawn to another table, round which were packing a great number of the curious to see an interesting game of Monte. They stepped over to it, too, and beheld Mr. Manic Garcia, otherwise Three-Fingered Jack, facing them, with five or six thousand dollars before him. He had just lost about the same sum, and the banker was unconcernedly shuffling the cards for a fresh game. Out came a king and a deuce, which he placed side by side on the board. Jack, without hesitation, staked all he had on the court card. The dealer continued to throw out the cards and took in the two-spot. In a few seconds, all was over. 
The rake encircled and pulled away the pile of gold before the player, without the least symptom of a smile appearing on the banker's cheek. Nor did the loser express any more emotion. He called for a glass of brandy, swallowed it down to the last two drops, and went out of the saloon without having spoken a word. The captain and his companion had not been remarked by him. They remained an hour or so in the place, going from table to table, losing a good deal here, winning a very little there, and had no adventure. Then they proceeded to Jackson Street to a Mexican ball where they found a large assemblage of their countrymen and women who were bobbing up and down in an atmosphere of smoke and dust to the jingling and thumping of a tambourine, to the scraping of a fiddle and the shriek of a cracked flute. They mingled with the throng and passed some time there. It was a little after two in the morning when the two bandits quitted their bar room to return to their canvas domicile. Joaquin had lost at play so large a sum that his comrade and himself could only find on them a hundred dollars, an insignificant sum to men who had in a week at full spring sent ten or twelve thousand dollars adrift. Valenzuela proposed to push on to the San Jose mission, where they had an ally who would not hesitate to loan them any amount in thousands for a fair interest. Joaquin would not follow this advice for reasons which he had, and preferred to return to Sacramento, where the horses had remained in the keeping of one Pedrillo. While passing a shanty on the road, they heard suddenly a clamor of oaths, exclamations, and bursts of laughter. They turned back and went by, and did this again and again, until finally hearing nothing but silence, as an Irishman might say, that made them all the more curious, and they stopped to listen. I'll swear that was Garcia speaking, said Joaquin, who had especially noted one of his worthy satellite's favorite execrations. The two began to peer through a couple of the many chinks in the miserably put-together planks of the establishment, Thus, they could see pretty well a scene of full interest to them, while nobody within had a thought of them. Through the cloudy air of the room full of vapors from forty-rod rum, cheapest whiskey, and pipes, the witnesses beheld several clusters of men, each around a table of the half-dozen, their aspects setting them down with photographic accuracy of the most depraved and vicious of the scorings of the city, men, if they deserve the title, ready for anything in the worst the better. Every one of the tables had its deck of cards, and every individual had a huge tin mug or cup, into which he was often pouring his ordered beverage, the chief being whatever poison it was that was in a couple of kegs in the corner. A smoldering fire every now and anon collected sufficient energy to dart up a flame which danced around impishly on the faces of the outcasts, while overhead a half dozen ends of candles, cheap fifty-cent dips, sputtered and fought with the thieves in their gutters, as if giving a lesson thus vigorously to quiescent society. 
Between these upper and lower regions of feeble illumination reigned a fog that would have delighted a Londoner and made his northern neighbor recall the scotch mist. At one of the tables farthest from the fire were seated four of the most villainous. One was no other than the illustrious Jack of the Three Fingers, whose eyes were glaring most frightfully. His companions were Pedro Sanchez, Juan Borilda, and Joaquin Blanco, all three affiliated to the band in the Honorable Office of Spies, the first exercising that position around Stockton and Columbia, the second at Stockton, and the third at the San Luis Obisque Mission. The other groups were composed of English, Irish, and American, who all seemed to have drank more than they ought, but who, from that very reason, were imbibing more than ever. Notwithstanding the tumult which arose in the rough concourse, the two eavesdroppers could distinctly hear some sentences carelessly thundered by Mr. Jack, which surprised his commander not a little. You have had all you deserve, cried Garcia, and I'll see you in H before I'll come down with a dollar more. Confound you, there was only a figure six of thousands, and every man Jack of you fingered his thousand, carumba by the flames and pitchforks of purgatory. Do you think I was going to divide even with you when all you had to do and did do was leave the fellow alone, and I did for him? Share and share alike, hey? You go to grass. I'll dig my claim alone after this. As the stamp is put to the ceiling wax, so the speaker gave the table such a vigorous thump with a mallet-like fist that the cars jumped up and danced as if they were playing old sledge of themselves. End of chapter 25